Our readings today start with Amos 8. This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me, a basket of ripe fruit. What do you see, Amos? He asked. A basket of ripe fruit, I answered. Then the Lord said to me, the time is ripe for my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. In that day, declares the Sovereign Lord, the songs in the temple will turn to wailing. Many, many bodies flung everywhere. Silence, hear this. You who trample the needy and do away with the poor of the land, saying, hmm, when will the new moon be over that we can sell again? And the Sabbath be ended that we can market new wheat? Skimping on the measure, boosting the price, and cheating with dishonest scales, buying the poor with silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, selling even the sweepings with the wheat. The Lord has sworn by himself, the pride of Jacob, I will never forget anything they have done. Will not the land tremble for this and for all who live in it and they will mourn? The whole land will rise like the Nile. It will be stirred up and then sink like the river of Egypt. In that day, declares the sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your religious festivals into mourning and all your singing into weeping. I will make all of you wear sackcloth and shave your heads. I will make that time like mourning for an only son and at the end of it, like a bitter day. The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine throughout the land but not a famine of food or a thirst for water. No, a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to south, searching for the word of the Lord, but they won't find it. Now from Psalm 15. Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent, who may live on your holy mountain, the one whose way of life is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from the heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor, who casts no slur on others, who despises a vile person but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts and doesn't change their mind, who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. Whoever does these things will never be shaken. And from Colossians 1, starting with verse 15. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible 
and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jeannie, for uh, speaking or reading those readings all together that seem really disconnected. So I'm going to try together to bring those. A breaking Bad is a colloquialism from the South that refers to a person who turns to a life of crime. And you probably have heard it because of this TV series, an award-winning TV series, that follows the, uh, the story of a meek, depressed high school chemistry uh, teacher named Walter White, played by Brian Cranston. He's diagnosed with stage three lung cancer. So he begins using his chemistry skills for nefarious purposes though, though with a good purpose in mind. He cares deeply about his family and doesn't want his cancer to bring financial ruin upon his family. So he begins using his expertise to produce methamphetamine and sell it. In the process, he turns from this worried, timid science teacher into a heartless drug lord. This is a warning. Uh, it's a graphic series. This is not an endorsement for, the fa for family TV night. Uh, but the point of it is that the, the creator of the series, Vince Gilligan, he reflected on the philosophy behind the series, uh, that wrongdoers deserve to be punished. And he says this, it's up on the screen, I feel some sort of need for biblical atonement or justice or something. I like to believe that there is some comeuppance, that karma kicks in at some point, even if it takes years or decades to happen. I want to believe there's a heaven, but I can't not believe there's a hell. There's a sense of injustice, or the sense of justice built into our humanity where we feel that injustice must be dealt with. But the question is how? What does God do about it? And especially when it's people who are the perpetrators of injustice. In the people of the book message series this summer, we're using these lectionary readings as a means for hearing God speak to us. And if you're just connecting with us in this series, you can go to wcfchurch.org slash people of the book uh, to link to the lectionary readings for each week or check out the bulletin that you have in front of you. One of the gifts of the lectionary is reading passages that we utter otherwise wouldn't choose to read if it were up to our own devices. Rather than going to scripture only because of how I'm feeling, or because of a situation I'm facing, which are both very valid reasons for doing so, I'm being confronted with challenging passages. And these ch passages are challenging, first, because they're foreign to us, like the first passage in Amos we heard today. We're historically and culturally removed from them, so it's challenging to figure out what's going on. But they're challenging, too, because they speak to areas of our humanity and our world that we can easily ignore. Using the language of race theory, we have a privilege. 
It's a kind of a privilege that we hold as people living in first world America to be able to distance ourselves from uncomfortable realities that we, when we can choose to. But who loses when we exercise that privilege? Those who are on the suffering end of things. In this week's readings, try as we might, we cannot ignore the ugly realities of injustice that scripture confronts, not only in the time that it was written, but also in our time now. The people of God were called to, be li- to, to live in a way that was meant to be a blessing to their neighbors, but instead they were living far from that calling. They were living as bad neighbors. So in today's message, we're going to look at uh, and highlight some of these injustices and how God deals with them by weaving together several of these readings that we heard read. When there is injustice, what will help us break bad neighboring? So we're going to walk through this in three stages. What is bad neighboring? Breaking bad neighboring season one and breaking bad neighboring season two. So in this week's lectionary readings, there were some clear instances of bad neighboring. The Israelites were not treating one another with kindness and compassion. Instead, those that held power and wealth were taking advantage of those that did not. They were being bad neighbors in deeds and in words. Amos, the prophet, was a shepherd. He was a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel about 800 years before Jesus showed up. God chose Amos to warn Israel that no one can escape the consequences of their actions, regardless of their status, regardless of the comfort and luxury that they were enjoying. As we read through Amos, we hear how God indicts Israel, Israel's neighbors, for their sins primarily because of the way they treated the vulnerable and how they enslaved entire communities for personal gain. But God was also indicting Israel as God's people. They would not escape God's judgment either because of how they treated their neighbors and especially because of how they treated the most vulnerable. They were living as bad neighbors, not only against other nations, but even towards their own. Amos 8, verse 4 and 6, just recalling what was just read. Amos, God says to the Israelites, Hear this, you who trample the needy, and do away with the poor of the land, saying, How? In business dealings, skimping on the measure, boosting the price and cheating with dishonest scales, buying the poor with silver and needy for a pair of sandals, selling even the sweepings with the wheat. What's going on here? Rich and powerful Jews were using their wealth to put people into slavery indebting people over a pair of sandals. Now, it looks different in our time, but the effects are the same. Treating people as objects to be used. Whether it's human trafficking for cheap labor or sex or predatory lending practices that prey on those who have the least margin of safety and support systems. Now, if you've ever bought a house and you have a mortgage, you probably know that they're hovering around 4%, right? Lending, if you want to go to a bank and want to borrow money right now, it's about 4% for a mortgage. Do you know how much lending rates are for those payday loan companies that you see on the corner store, on the corners of the streets? Anyone care to guess what their interest rates that they charge are? 1,500? Well, not quite that high, but 298%. So if you go to the next slide, this is the, I just looked at it this, like this week. So if you borrow $500 from one of these places, the average interest rate is, uh, annual interest rate is 286%. That's preposterous. 
Amos 8.4.6 talks about skimping the measure, using false balances and weighing goods in favor of the merchant. And then there's a phrase, selling even the sweepings with the wheat. And this phrase challenges my Chinese sensibilities. Some people call it being cheap, but I call it being wise and frugal. You know, Julia's grandma, uh, who is illiterate and has a grade five education, exemplifies this principle. When making a pot of rice or in a rice cooker, you know how you get a layer of crustified rice on the bottom of the pot? Well, she would spend the evening, you can take a picture, there's another picture here, I think. Or, yeah, like that. And uh, she would spend the evening scraping that off and finding ways to cook it so that you can uh, not waste the rice that was stuck to the bottom of the pot not letting it go to waste. But in Scripture, the Israelites were doing the same thing in the way they harvested the wheat. They were supposed to leave gleanings, like the leftovers. Anything that fell to the floor was to be left for those who didn't have land, for the poor and, and widows, so that they could pick up food left over for themselves. But the, the, the Israelites were just taking everything, so nothing would be left for those who had nothing. We see these injustices pop up in other parts of Amos too. Five, uh, earlier in Amos, in chapter 5, it says, You levy a straw tax on the poor and impose a tax on their grain. Therefore, though you have built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. God is charging those who hold, have power and wealth for creating additional burdens that favor them at the expense of those without a power and a voice. They were building mansions that they would not be able to live in collecting luxurious items that they would not be able to enjoy at the expense of the most vulnerable. Can you think of anyone like that? We see these injustices pop up in how leaders or politicians in levels of government play up policies that give advantage to certain interests rather than the interests of the wider population. Things like manipulating voting districts to maximize advantage for their parties or redlining people so that they're paying more for a loan because of their race, moving school boundaries to exclude certain demographics from your preferred schools, adding burdens to, to the most vulnerable is, the, is a sign of bad neighboring. And if you think that this was just a, a patriarchal abuse, it wasn't limited only to men. In Amos chapter 4, God charges these wealthy women, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy, even wealthy and self-indulgent women were taking advantage of the marginalized. This week, the Washington Post, actually another follow-up article came up this, uh, this morning, ran a story about this inextricable link between the exponential increase of opioid production by pharmaceutical companies and counties in the country, country that experienced the most opioid deaths. The top counties in America with the highest opioid deaths also happened to be the most rural and poorest areas of the nation. One example is Oceana, West Virginia, home to 1,400 people. Congressional investigators discovered that one pharmaceutical company alone funneled 4.4 million opioid pills into the town between 2008 and 2015. That's more than one pill per day for everyone in the town for the year. Israel capitalized on a period of wealth and prosperity during this, at the time that Amos was prophesying. And they viewed it as a sign of the blessing of God. That's why at the beginning you say, what do you see? A basket of fruit, ripe fruit. 
what they saw was a sign of blessing, was in fact a sign of indictment. They had in fact amassed this wealth and prosperity on the backs of the poor and the oppressed. They drafted laws to get around God's command to keep land as inheritance with his families, and people were accumulating land, excluding others. For Amos, though, wealth wasn't the problem. It was wealth accompanied by injustice towards the poor. That's the issue. Their so-called worship of God amounted to little, nothing, little more than magical manipulation of God for their own selfish means. Might you see some signs of that in our culture? The injustices don't just, didn't just come out in their deeds that they did, but also in their speech. Earlier in Amos 5, 10, and 12 on the screen here, it says, those who hate justice in court and does not tell, tell the truth, for I know how many are your offenses and how great are your sins. There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. In Psalm 52, it's a psalm of David when he's being pursued by Saul. It's another reading, which we didn't read out loud, but it's part of this week's lectionary readings. He's charging those who are boasting of evil. You who practice deceit, your, tongues plot, your tongue plots destruction. It is like a sharpened razor. You love evil rather than good, falsehood rather than speaking the truth. You lose, you love every harmful word, you deceitful tongue. While the psalm is a reminder to be confident in God's faithfulness in light of, of those, especially leaders around us, that boast and deceive with, with, uh, with seeming impunity, attacking others and reveling in the power of their words to destroy others. These leaders trusted their lies trusted their wealth and their power rather than the living God. And this psalm is a reminder that those who seem to grow strong by destroying others with words will one day be held accountable. Now, as we're going through all this, you might be overwhelmed, and you might find it easy to think of other people that easily match these indictments. It's easy to tweet about someone else's shortcomings. But what if we looked at ourselves in the mirror? Psalm 15, which Jeannie read for us, is another psalm in this week's readings that addresses speaking truthfully and acting rightly, saying those who walk blamelessly, those who do what is right, speak truth from their heart, who do not slander with their tongue, and do no evil to their friends, nor take up a reproach against their neighbors. Speaking well and taking up, not taking up reproach against your neighbors, you know, these are people that you associate with. If you think of last week, if you were here for last week's message on being a good neighbor, being a good neighbor first is about seeing your neighbor as a human being, even if they live and uh, think differently than you might. One of the very public conversations going on this week had to do with telling fellow citizens to go home from where they came from. Besides of the uh, content of what was said, which is unacceptable in any kind of setting, I was burdened by how this conversation unfolded or the lack of a conversation amongst the offended parties. Taking up reproach speaks to how we express our disappointment and disapproval. Unfortunately, most of, our, most of the disappointment and disapproval was expressed in very public terms without personal interaction. And it's a reminder to us that if we hear something that we might disagree with, don't tweet about it or post on social media expressing your disapproval without first having a conversation with someone else with the other party. Unless you're a public figure that needs to control the news cycle, start with a conversation 
with your neighbor first. Because expressing disapproval by posting it publicly can be just as much of a power play as what you're accusing the offender of doing. Bad neighboring comes out in our words. Bad neighboring comes out in our deeds. And this is overwhelming. It's everywhere. And we're just as guilty of it as who we like to point fingers at. It may not have the same public nature, but I think we can see ourselves in parts of these at times. So back to Amos. With all of Israel's misdeeds, the Lord promises that their unjust actions will not go unpunished. Breaking bad season, breaking bad neighboring season one is judgment. Amos 8, verse 7 to 9 says, The Lord has sworn by himself, I will never forget anything they have done. Will, they not, will the, not the land tremble for this and all who live in it mourn? In that day, declares the sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. In Amos's time, while in Israel enjoyed this time of prosperity gained through unjust means, it would not go unnoticed. The day of the Lord they looked forward to as God's judgment on their enemies would not turn out to be a day of light for Israel as they had expected, but instead a day of darkness. Not only was Israel not going to be the ruler of the world, but in Amos's time, in just a few years after he prophesied this, they would no longer exist as a nation anymore. These kinds of passages are bittersweet. On one hand, they offer us comfort because we are given the assurance that injustices and bad neighboring do not escape the attention of the living God. God takes them seriously. He does not forget them because of their impact upon the vulnerable, but also because of their impact upon us and us humans to live as God's image bearers. We are not called to wield power and wealth for selfish gain at the expense of others. It devalues who we are made to be. And so the comfort is that despite those who wield injustice seem to escape with relative impunity, they will not escape God's attention. David reminds us, and those who read his psalm in 52 verse 5, Surely God will bring you down to everlasting ruin. He will snatch you up and pluck you up out of your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living, and the righteous will see and fear. They will laugh at you. Recall the creator of the Breaking Bad series that we quoted earlier on the, uh, at the beginning of the message in his longing for justice when evil is done. He expresses this unfulfilled not longing, not knowing how it will be completed. Yet if we come to trust the living God, we find comfort that all injustice does not escape God's attention and will be judged and judged rightly. These passages bring us comfort when we are the ones who experience injustice at the hands of others. But they are also bittersweet because they are humbling when we recognize that we are practicers of injustice with our deeds or with our speech. It's easy to point out injustice and abuse that others render, but it takes humility and self reflection to recognize it in ourselves. We all don't walk blamelessly. We don't always speak without reproach. We don't always speak truth from our hearts because we're afraid of conflict. Though it's easy to say, well, I'm not as bad as that person over there. And we can come up with great excuses to excuse our actions. But we are not completely innocent in the matter either. They may not be as public, 
but they are just as contrary to how we are created to live in relationship with others. This means that we too are deserving of God's judgment, that we too are not meant to escape the day of the Lord. And that is something that we don't want to experience. God's initial response to breaking bad neighboring is judgment and condemnation. That's season one. To not do so would violate his own character of righteousness and justice. Yet in God's infinite wisdom and love, he doesn't break bad neighboring by only punishing the offenders. He offers another way. There's another season to the series, and we're thankful for that. In the Colossians passage, the Apostle Paul gives us this beautiful hymn outlining the supremacy of Christ over all creation. Colossians 1.19, 20, For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, that is Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus is the reconciler of all things. All things. Through Christ's blood shed on the cross, Jesus takes the punishment for our sin and the sins of the world, including our evil works and speech. The judgment of God for our unjust and unneighborly actions, both past, present, and future, are dealt upon Jesus, God's own Son. Through humble repentance and trust in Christ, we now experience, we are offered the experience of God's forgiveness and are set on a course of restoration. Now, Christians have typically emphasized this restoration only in our relationship with the living God. But it goes beyond that. Christ came to reconcile all things. It's a restoration of our relationship with the living God, but it's also restoration with ourselves and how we see ourselves. And it's also restoration of the world around us, the world that we live in. When Christ came to restore all things, he meant all things. This means that for those of us who respond to Christ's mercy and grace, we are joined into this cross-bearing, peacemaking, restorative process in the world that we live in. Paul continues later in chapter 1, verse 25 to 28, talking about how he has become a servant of this good news, to present the word of God in all of its fullness, and that this mystery that was once hidden is now revealed to God's people. And through God's people, this mystery is revealed to the world, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. For those of us who experience Christ's, God's forgiveness in Christ, this changes how we respond to injustice. Number one, it's not our responsibility to ensure judgment is dealt with our words, or with our actions. We may feel that we're more woke than our neighbor on a particular issue. We may feel that we're given the right to judge someone else who is less woke. But there is someone far more qualified than us that is trustworthy and that is righteous in his judgments. So before going on the attack, pray for your enemies or those who see things differently. Seek God's wisdom and discernment for how to respond appropriately. It's not our job to judge. Secondly, don't just stop there. Don't just pray. 
Though our energies primarily are not, direct, not to be directed toward executing judgment, we are called to shine forth God's light, his love, and his grace, working to identify injustices and to help those who suffer. We're not called to judge, but we are called to join Jesus in reconciling all things in creation. As followers of Christ, who have experienced the transforming power of God's forgiveness, we are given this incredible resource to face the injustices of the world. We don't have to turn a blind eye to them. We don't have to use our privilege to choose not to engage with them. But God's love has uh, broken the bad neighboring in our hearts. So we have been given this incredible resource to live as good neighbors in the name of Jesus. Colossians, uh, Paul writes the Colossians in chapter 3, and we'll end with this. He says this to them, Whatever you do and whatever you say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. May we do so faithfully in this world and see bad neighboring broken in Jesus' name. Amen.